If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 22 through 30. And if you're going to use one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you, it is on 1073. If you're a guest with us today, we've been walking through the book of Mark for the last nine months. And we're about halfway today. So this is an exciting day for us. Mark 8, 22 through 30. Hear now God's holy and true word. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. This is the word of the Lord. You pray with me? Father, we give you thanks and praise that we can gather here this morning, that we got to see uh, your word in out of the mouth of babes. You will ordain praise, seeing the children lift their voices to you and sing of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you. That now we can look into your word and we can see Jesus. We ask that you will open our eyes, that you will open our ears, that you will use this time to transform us, to make us new, to equip us, to run to our neighbors and the nations with this good, good news. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's amazing how... Waiting for something for a long time makes it really special when it finally gets there. And my children, particularly my son, have been waiting all year for VBS. Uh, I mean, he would ask me periodically, are we going yet? Is it time yet? And uh, now some people in East Orlando probably think our family's a little obsessed with convenience stores because he didn't quite understand the letters and kept asking me in public, can I go to CVS now? Can I go to CVS now? And so, you know, CBS is wonderful too, but, but he's been waiting for VBS because he just loves it. He loved it last year. I know he loved it again this year. And that's an amazing thing about waiting. When you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and then you receive what you're waiting for, it is a very sweet thing. And we're, here we are, halfway through the book of Mark, and we're at this extremely important, pivotal moment where the world is going to begin to receive what it's been waiting for for the longest, longest time. This moment where we see Peter speaking for the disciples, saying that Jesus is the Christ, is the first moment where human beings are saying 
that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. And we'll talk about that and what that means. But it is, it is such an important moment. Some theologians have called it the hinge of history. It's on which everything turns when people begin to see that their eyes are opened that Jesus is the Christ. A massive, massive moment for humanity. And that's one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is that he opens our eyes. That's what we want to see this morning. When we follow and trust Jesus, he miraculously opens our eyes more and more to the fact that he is the Christ and the true Savior everyone is waiting for. We're going to talk about this by looking at three things this morning. If you're going to make an outline, we're going to talk about the condition And then we'll talk about the cure and finally the confession. So that's the three things we're going to be hitting on this morning. The condition, the cure, and the confession. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at this text over and over and over. Look at verse 22 with me. Verse 22 says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. One of the first things that we want to see in this passage this morning is that by nature we are blind to spiritual realities. Because of the fall, because of sin, we are blind to things that are true spiritually. Things about God, things about uh, Satan, things about heaven, things about hell. These are things that we can't see unless God opens our eyes. Our sin has blinded us. And so, really, we're like this man in verse 22. We are like a blind man who needs his sight restored. This, This miracle is an amazing miracle. And it invites us to put ourselves in the place of this man. And seeing his physical blindness representative of our spiritual blindness that can only be restored through Jesus. It's a special, special miracle, actually. Uh, That's one of the reasons we know that this miracle is not just designed to show Jesus' care and his power uh, to heal, but also to teach something about himself. To teach something about us and our spiritual condition. In fact, here's one of the ways that we know this is such a special miracle. It is the only miracle that he does in two stages. You see that? He, he, we'll see that in a little bit. He, he touches him, the man can see a little bit, and then he touches him and the man can see clearly. It's the only miracle that Jesus does in stages. And every other miracle that he's done, we've seen him heal all sorts of different people. We've seen him heal paralyzed people. So it's, it's not like this is a hard miracle for him, and that's why he had to try it twice. Okay? He raised somebody from the dead. Okay? So he can heal the blind. This is not a matter of it being difficult It's not like when he was walking on water, he stepped out and started to sink and had to back up and say, oh, let me try that again. Okay, every time Jesus does a miracle, he just does it because he's powerful. But in this case, he does it in two stages. And it's because it's not just a miracle, it's a picture. It helps us see something we can't see. And it's what is implied here is explicit elsewhere, this reality that we're blinded. We're blinded from the truth uh, about spiritual things, blinded by our sin, blinded by Satan himself. In fact, listen to this from 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Paul writes that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So since the beginning, Satan has been at work blinding us, trying to keep us blind, keep us in the dark about how glorious God truly is, about how amazing he is and how much he loves us and how compassionate and how gracious and glorious he truly is. That's been Satan's aim since the very, very beginning. He doesn't want us to know that we can have a relationship 
with our creator. He doesn't want us to know that we can be one with our creator through forgiveness because of the cross. So he is blinding people. And unbelievers then need to wrestle with the fact that maybe there are some things that you can't see. Maybe one of the reasons that people don't believe is because they just actually can't see what followers of Christ can see. And you need to hear me if you're not a believer this morning. Just hear me saying to you that there are things that apart from faith in Christ, you can't see things of eternal significance. and Things that you can only end up seeing through a relationship with Jesus. But it's not, this is not only challenging to unbelievers, but it's also challenging to believers because here we have the disciples who are following Jesus and they have not yet seen something critical. That's why we've seen Jesus uh, say to them things like he says in 8 verse 18, have you eyes to see, but, or, or do you have eyes but you cannot see? Do you have ears but you cannot hear? So even us as followers of Christ need to realize that only Jesus can restore our sight. Now, I think one of the easiest ways to acknowledge and recognize that you, uh, that from time to time we, there are things that we just can't see is when they're pointed out to us. And then suddenly you're like, suddenly you're like oh, I've never seen that before. Right? Let me give you some examples. Okay, I was on the, the internet. Have you heard of that? Uh, it's pretty cool. And so I was on the internet and I, I saw this, this uh, list of uh, logos that have hidden messages in them. Did you see that yet? It's pretty cool. So, by the way, I'm not promoting any of these brands. Okay, just FYI. Um, but we just got a ship, shipment of Coke in the back. No, just kidding. Um, okay, so look at Tostitos. Did you ever notice before that there are two people about to enjoy a chip? Look at the T's. There it is. There they are. Oh, party time, right? Okay, here's another one. You've seen the FedEx logo thousands of times. Did you ever see the awesome arrow? Did you see that before? Like, the first time I saw it, I was like, whoa! You know, it, it's an amazing marketing tool, except nobody sees it, Okay. There's an arrow between the E and the X. Boom, right? How did I not see that all these years? Right? Right? When this goes viral, we've got to tag me in it, okay? Um, now, Coca-Cola. You've seen the elephant before? There he is. Now. Okay, if you're listening online, look at the Coca-Cola logo, logo and uh, just look at the cola, the C-O-L in cola, and you get to see the elephant. Now, you know why there's an elephant in Coca-Cola's logo, don't you? Probably totally an accident. It's probably not. A, it, it, who knows? Who knows? But you see, like, you've seen these things, right? You've, you've seen these logos for years. And some of you, for the first time, are like, oh, you know, you're, me too. That's what I was. I was sitting at my computer going, oh, you know, how, could I, how did I not see that before? Okay, and so simple things like this. Better go to the next screen because I don't think I'm going to get anybody back. Okay, <laughs> come back, come with me, people. Even little things like this. Listen to me. Even little things like this should soften our hearts to the reality that there are things in this world that have existed for a long time and maybe we didn't see it. Right. That's what we need to realize here, is that there are these things that we cannot see, but we see them through a relationship with Jesus. This is one of the most exciting things about Jesus, is part of his ministry is to open our eyes. And that's what he said he was doing. He, he came to open the eyes of the blind. He said that, quoting the Old Testament in Luke chapter 4, that he'd come to open the eyes of the blind when John the Baptist asked him, sent some people to ask Jesus if he was the one to come or should they look for another. He said, tell John that the blind 
see. And it's this, yes, physical, physically people were beginning to be able to see, but it's, there's a bigger picture going on where Jesus is the one who will restore our sight as we pursue him through faith. Jesus restores our sight as we pursue him through faith and we begin to see things about him that maybe we've never seen before. So maybe, think about this blind man, you know, his, his, these friends, these people brought them, brought him, I mean, to Jesus. Has somebody been trying to tell you about Jesus lately? That is a beautiful picture of somebody bringing you to the one who can restore your sight and let you see him. There it is. There's the next slide. Okay. We can be cured of our spiritual blindness through a real relationship with Jesus. And we can see what Paul was talking about. We can end up seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus does. One of the things he does, he restores our sight as we pursue him through faith. How? How does he do that? Let's take a look at verses 23 through 25. He took the blind man by the hand. Such a sweet thing, by the way, because back then everybody thought blind people were cursed by God and nobody would touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. What a moment. What a moment for him. Second thing we want to see this morning is that Jesus cures spiritual blindness through relationship and in stages. Through relationship and in stages. That's how he does this. I, uh, this, is, this is a really amazing miracle because of the way that it teaches about Jesus restoring sight, both phys- physically and spiritually. But it also, it actually gives a snapshot of the entire gospel of Mark. It's pretty amazing. And if you think about it, like think of two columns, okay? Two columns and just think of the story of the blind man and then think of what we've seen about the disciples so far and think about what you know about the rest of their story. Because literally, point by point, you see the same things happening. For example, in the text, if you're looking at 23 through 25, you see that Jesus led the man, right? Just like in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus goes and he calls the disciples to lead them. He says, follow me. So the blind man is led just like the disciples are led. Then Jesus touches the blind man. That's a physical thing. Well, this is something that we're seeing spiritually. So what we see through all of the gospel so far is Jesus teaches the disciples. So he touches the man, but he's teaching the disciples. Then Jesus asks the blind man a question in verse 23. Do you see anything? Just like Jesus asks an incredibly important question to the disciples in verse 29, which we'll get to in a few minutes. He says, who do you say that I am? Okay, so we're moving together here. Same stories. Then the answer of the blind man is yes and no. Yes, I can see people, but no, I can't see clearly. They look like trees. It actually says the man. He's talking about the disciples. At this moment, he can see the disciples but they look like trees. So, so the answer is yes and no. Yes, he can see, but he can't see clearly. Now, here's what's amazing. Uh, in, in this case, when 
Peter answers for the disciples, his answer is yes and no too. He says, you are the Christ. That's the yes. I can see that. Okay, but then in a few verses, which we'll look at next week, Jesus says he's going to die, and Peter gets up in his face and rebukes him. In other words, Peter can see that Jesus is the Christ, but he doesn't understand him yet. He doesn't see clearly. So he can see, but not clearly. Now here's the amazing thing as well. Jesus touches the man again, and now we're going to see several more months or a year of of Jesus teaching the disciples again. And then, in the end, with the blind man, he sees clearly. And what happens at the end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry with the disciples? They see clearly, too. How do you know that? Because they spend the rest of their lives telling the world that he is the Christ. And what's so interesting is, like, it, it, it's, it's this process, this process of stages. See, before they confess, there's, there's so much misunderstanding the disciples all through the gospel we've seen they just don't understand stuff in other words they don't see it they don't see that what jesus is doing is revealing that he is the christ and then after the confession it's different let me explain think about this if you for those of us who've been here for the whole series uh in chapter four they didn't understand the parables and jesus had to say you do not understand what i'm saying he had to address that do not see okay then in chapter six he fed the five thousand they didn't understand that So he had to step back again and say, do you not understand what's happening? Do you not see? And then we see it similar in chapter 7, another place where Jesus says, do you not yet understand? Chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 8, which we saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus says, do you have eyes but do not see? Because after the feeding of the 4,000, once again, they did not understand. Then in verse 29, we're going to see that they confess that Jesus is the Christ. And you know, it's interesting. There's only one other place in the book of Mark that we see the disciples not understanding something. It's in chapter 9, and it has to do with them having a hard time understanding why the Christ would have to die. But what's so amazing here is that you see then that stage 1 is when Jesus uh, opens our eyes so that we can confess that Jesus is the Christ. We can see, but that doesn't mean everything is suddenly clear. That's the next stage where we continue to be taught by him. We continue to learn from him the rest of our lives. And what happens is we begin, to grow, we begin to grow in our understanding of Jesus as the Christ. He begins to show us more clearly what it means that he is the Christ. So, again, once, if, you're, if you're not a believer, one of the things for you to be wrestling with or thinking about is to know that you know, there's, there's an inability to really understand Jesus and see his glory and see how amazing he is until you've made that confession, until you've chosen to believe he is the Christ, he is the Savior. And then after that is when you begin to understand more and more about him. That stage of things becoming more and more clear and and you fall more and more in love with him. More and more amazed by him. If you choose to follow him, you will see he will open your eyes. He will show you why he's so glorious. Why billions of people bow to him. And so then believers as well, we need to be thinking about the fact that as we continue to follow Jesus, he will make things more and more clear. He will make it more and more clear, prove over and over again that he is the Christ, that he is our Savior, and that we can trust him with everything. This deeper and richer understanding comes and comes, and that's what transforms us. That's what's so amazing. That's what changes our lives. That's what makes us new over and over again, seeing afresh 
that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior. And after all, when we truly confess that Jesus is the Christ, we're saying something that's absolutely world-rocking and life-changing. That's what's so amazing here. To confess, to say, okay, I believe Jesus is the Christ, is to say something that is absolutely amazing. So let's talk about the confession. Look at 27 through 29. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. So one of the things you should see here is that uh, the people, other than the disciples, the people did hold Jesus in a high regard. They did think he was special. (laughs) But he's so much more than just special. You'll never have, we'll never have a life changing experience and relationship with Jesus if we just think he's special. And he asked them, verse 29, but who do you say that I am and that you is plural? So he's asking all the disciples, but Peter speaks for the disciples and he says, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. So what does it mean for a believer to say that Jesus is the Christ? And this is so amazing. Here's what this means. And the third thing we want to see today. If our confession is true, our search for a Savior is over. The word Christ is a Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And the word Messiah, the Hebrew word Messiah, means anointed one, chosen one. And so uh, the, the Jews for centuries, for, for the, all through the generations, they had been waiting and waiting and waiting for this anointed one to come, to deliver them, to save them. And there's three classes of people in the Old Testament that would receive an anointing. Three different types of people received anointings in the Old Testament. So number one, prophets were anointed. Prophets were the people that God would, would speak his truth to his people through. They were the mouthpieces for God. So prophets would be anointed. Priests. Priests would also be anointed in the Old Testament. The priests were the ones that would perform the sacrifices, which was symbolic of this forgiveness of sin, of there being an atonement, a payment for the debt of sin that people have. Prophets and priests. And and then the third type of person that was anointed in the Old Testament was kings. Kings were anointed. Anointed and then they would rule over God's people. So, and over the, the, the generations, through the generations, the concept of king is the one that really became dominant. And so the Jews were really thinking a king is coming. And they were right, but they were really thinking that this king would come. And their major uh, longing, their major emphasis for that king was that they believed he would come and he would set them free from Roman rule and oppression. He would be this great political leader. This, by the way, is why Jesus tells them after they confess he's the Christ, he says, now don't tell anybody. Seems kind of interesting, right? And the reason he doesn't want them to go tell anybody yet is because they can see Jesus is the Christ, but they don't yet understand Jesus as the Christ. And so he he tells them to wait until they understand. And then the reason that Jesus continues to teach them, and the reason that he's continuing to teach us through the word is so that they would see and so that we would see what kind of anointed one he truly is. He's all three. That's what's so amazing about Jesus 
He is the ultimate prophet. He is the ultimate priest. He is the ultimate king sent to deliver us from our real true enemies. Sin and death. He's so much more. He's so much better than we could ever realize. He's so much more and better than the disciples realized in that moment. And all of us at any given moment can realize, can know for certain that Jesus is always more. He's always better than we can realize. And so we can stop looking for a savior. You know, one of the most horrible things about our blindness, one of the most horrible things about the fact that we're blind to the truth is because we still are searching. We still search for salvation. We still search for something to change us. We still search for something to make our circumstances different. Our hearts long for things. And then we find ourselves getting into things that end up destroying ourselves. But our hearts are searching for a savior. This is why we become workaholics. Because we see in our job, oh, if I just work so hard and if I get all this success, that'll save me. That'll make me feel good. That'll be awesome. And so we we, pour ourselves into our work so much that we end up damaging relationships, damaging our family. Other times, maybe it's why we end up being alcoholics. Because the pain in our life, we we don't know what to do with it. We don't know where it should go. Maybe we're feeling guilty about things. And so we turn to alcohol because at least it'll help me feel better, at least for a moment. And we end up ruining our lives. Because we're searching for salvation in a bottle. Our hearts are always searching. It's why we uh, end up being controlaholics. This is one of my big problems. I I feel like if I'm in control of everything, then I'll be okay. My heart thinks that I'll find Salvation in control. It's why we become comfortaholics. I mean, how hard do we work sometimes to make our lives easy? It's why we become moneyaholics. It's why we become foodaholics, healthaholics, you name it. It's why we get obsessed. It's why we, we put everything we've got into these different baskets. Because our hearts are searching for a savior. Savior, Our desperate hearts, blind to the truth, think that they see salvation in these things. And we run to them over and over and over. And they ruin our lives over and over and over. And so we just need to see that we're desperately searching for a savior. And, you know, a lot of times it's interesting. If you think about it, there's three major questions that we tend to want to have answered. What is true? What do I do with my guilt and my shame? And what is my purpose? How often do you feel that in your heart? What is true? And what do I do with the fact that I've made all these mistakes? I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. And third, what is my purpose in this world? And all of our obsessions and life-wrecking, relationship-killing behavior stems from a desire to know the answer to these things. And what's so beautiful and powerful about verse 29 is the disciples, for the first time in history, say that Jesus is the answer. That he is the Christ. That is, it means the search is over. He's the anointed one. He's our ultimate prophet. We can know what is true through what Jesus says. The answer is in him. He's our ultimate priest. He didn't perform the sacrifices for us. He became the sacrifice. Jesus offered himself to be the ultimate sacrifice. So that as God's wrath was poured out onto him on the cross, your and my debt of sin, if we believe, is paid. And the guilt and the shame can lift. He's our ultimate prophet. He's our ultimate priest. And he's our ultimate king. Who knows what's best for us and and directs our lives and gives us real purpose. So, if you haven't 
confessed that Jesus is the Christ. If you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, at the very least, you need to see that this morning God is saying to you, stop looking elsewhere and just look at my son. That is what he's saying to you this morning. And I hope you will hear that. I hope you will begin to pursue Jesus. We've got uh, the worship service you can come to. You can join one of our life groups. We've got a kiosk back there where you can find out where our life groups meet. You can get discipled one-on-one. We want you to get to know Jesus and have him open your eyes and that you would confess him as Christ and then begin to understand him as Christ. And if we have faith in Christ, oh, man, we just got to remember to stop looking elsewhere. We get, we get so busy, we get so forgetful that we too start, our hearts start moving towards these other things. And this is calling us to come back, to look at Christ, to know that he is what our hearts truly long for. This, this moment in history was so huge for the disciples because they chose to believe that Jesus was the long-awaited Christ that the whole world had been waiting for. And this can be a big moment for you and I as we either believe for the first time or remember afresh, remember again that Jesus truly is what our heart is longing for. And the only one who can satisfy us. This is what Edward Mote meant when he wrote those famous words in that very famous hymn. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. That you would be gracious enough to open our eyes to the truth through a relationship with Jesus. I do pray for any in the room who do not have a relationship with him, have not been able to see how glorious he is. I pray for open eyes, open ears, open hearts. And for those of us who know him, we pray that you will continue our journey of understanding him as Christ and how he is, what our hearts long for. We forget, we forget, we forget. So remind us, as you do in your gracious and loving ways, and equip us to continue to tell the world that Jesus is the Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.